Welcome to Birth Mothers Amplified, giving a voice to the women behind adoption. Hosted by Emma and Mathani. Hey, welcome back everyone. Mathani and Emma here. Today we will be interviewing a fellow birth mom, Lori. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It's my honor. Um, Well, today uh, we'll be touching on multiple things. We'll be talking about how adoption evolves over time, the importance of all parties within adoption, and what life can look like 26 years after placement. Yeah, Lori, I'm super excited for our listeners to hear your story today. So you're 26 years down the road. You're married now. You have two daughters. You're about to be an empty nester, which I'm sure that's like, I mean, that's a big change. Kind of terrifying. (laughs) Yes. Definitely. It's kind of terrifying. It's a lot. And I can't actually believe I'm here. It feels like just yesterday, all of, all of these things started happening and I just can't believe I'm here now. It's an honor. Thank you guys for having me. I placed in an adoption 26 years ago. It was 1994. It was before the internet, before Google, you know, before social media. I found myself pregnant and I didn't have anyone to turn to, anyone to ask for help. And so I was at my job and I thought, well, I'm going to get out that big old phone book and see if I can talk to someone, um, anyone. And I flipped open I think it was the yellow pages. And I called a number real quick while my boss was away. And I thought, well, just desperation, you know, was pushing me. And I spoke to a sweet woman. She had the kindest voice. She said, hey, I, 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 can, I can help you if you want. And uh, I'd love to talk to you. And I, I began telling her my story. And, and all of a sudden, my boss came in. I had to hang up real quick. And I was four months along at the time, still kind of nauseous and everything. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got to hang up. I got to get out, got to get out of this situation. No one can know. Eventually, of course, I could not hide what was actually growing inside of me and my pants were getting too tight. And so I thought, well, you know, rather than someone actually ask me and I just had to say something to my family. Senior year had just started, y'all. And I had a family with two siblings, so everyone was there. And we were all having a party. And I decided to really throw a wrench into that party by telling my fam- my family that I was pregnant. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I still apologize to my sister because it was her birthday. Um <laughs> Anyway, I told, I know, I know. I told, I told my family and it was obviously a shock. I I think I recall them saying, are you serious? Like, okay, are you serious? And then of course they had to have their closed door conversation and then call Mm -hmm. me back in, you know, to talk about what they had discussed. They were obviously in shock as was I, but I had a little longer to deal with it. And they gave me the name of a, of a, um, a counselor in the area. At the time, I didn't know that it was, you know, an adoption uh, agency or a family services place. I just took the card and, you know, went on my merry way, going to high school with my backpack and everything else. Mm-hmm. I did call later on because I was about four months, four or five months at the time. When I called the sweet woman that I spoke to, 
her voice, her voice actually was familiar. And it was the exact lady that I had spoke to in secret at my job. That's so cool. And I know it was so cool. It was like, okay, this is divine. Um, Did y'all recognize each other's voices immediately? Yes. Yes. She recognized my voice and she asked me, did you call a few months back? I, 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 I remember speaking to someone and then she hung up on me and I was like, that was me. <laughs> that was me. Anyway, I met up with her and she was so sweet and kind and just had me kind of, you know, as good counselors are, they, they have you kind of spill your guts, right? Mm-hmm. While they sit there on a cushy sofa mm-hmm. and I spilled my guts and, and she told me, well, you know, have you thought about what you're going to do? I said, no, I'm here. This is what I thought about. <laughs> I'm sitting right before you. And uh, she said, well, let me, let me tell you some of your options. She told me about adoption. She told me about parenting and different services that were available. She did mention every option and said that I was in control of all of them. But one mm-hmm. thing she said to me was, there's this new thing called open adoption. Of course, was like, what does open adoption mean? What year is this? Mean? Tell me. 1994. Wow. And she mentioned open adoption. I mean, I know yes. it was a thing at that point, but yes, not, it was not common. The, not common. It was actually at the end of 1993, to be more specific. She told me, okay, in open adoption, you, you, you place, you choose the family, you place your child, you get to ha- choose the family, mm-hmm. you get to have a relationship, you get to meet, you get to see them grow up, your child grow up. And yeah. I was like just a wave of peace came over me. Like, okay, Mm. this is something I can do. And especially in crisis, you know how it is where you feel immobilized. You feel like I can't move in my mind. I can't move in my body. I cannot make a decision. So Lori, let's back up a little bit. Where was the birth father's involvement? He was um, not involved in this process at this point. He went to a different school. And so it was very easy for him to disassociate with the actual problem. Maybe easier for him, I don't know if he chose this or not, to uh, act as if it wasn't happening and to not really offer much support or advice. Did your Um, family know him? Yes. Okay. They did. It was a complex situation. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes, but he was not involved at that point. I actually looked at the profiles myself. I had no support. I didn't even invite my, my own mother to look at those. It had to be something I owned. I had to own the decision and I had to have every part of it. Selfishly, I think I needed that. So at our next visit at the counselor's office, I ended up looking at profiles because I thought, okay, I can move forward in an open Mm -hmm. adoption. She gave me some books and they were, you know, those old fashioned books with sticky pages and typewriter, typewriter letters. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And uh, they were beautiful. The very last book she gave me, we were running out of time. She said, you can take this one home. They just completed their home study. And so I did. I left and I took that one home. And of course, sat in my room and I was like, oh my goodness, these are the people. I just <laughs> felt it. These are the people mm-hmm. I could imagine my child with them. When you know, you know. I called her. I said, hey, I, this is the one you gave me. Is the one that I, 
I really like. The one who just completed their study probably waited the least <laughs> amount of time, but that's the one. And so this, at this point, this is when the father began being a part of it only because it was suggested by the counselor. She okay. suggested that he come to the meeting, which we scheduled with the, um, the family. I think there was some reluctance on his part, as most things at the time. I don't know what I said to get him there, but he was there. We met them, and it was like two months later. So I'd say it was around December, maybe. They were so sweet. They were nervous. So was I. I mean, it's awkward, right? Yeah. What do you say? They did ask me all kinds of wonderful questions, honoring me by just inquiring about my life. They were very careful to make anything appear like transactional. They just wanted to know about me and know about my goals and my, my dreams and my talents. And then the father ended up, not the birth father, but the adoptive father ended up asking me about names. I told him all of the names that I had chosen and I had three at the time. He loved all of them. Hmm. So, so I, I thought, okay, that's really neat that he loved all the names. Just a little side note, they ended up keeping the names that I chose Aww. to honor me. I so I always go back that. to that moment. They kept the first name and the middle name that I chose for him. So. Wow. Yeah. And so they told you that, that evening, they told you? They did not tell me they were going to do that. That was okay. a complete surprise to me. Wow. Which I think is better, wow. you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because things got difficult. I ended up in, in February with a C-section. Back then, they kept you in the hospital five days. It was like protocol. Five days, you're in. Five days later, you got to go home. And I was there like diapering and feeding and ooing and eyeing and studying all of his baby wrinkles and dried skin and, you know, the ink stains on his feet from mm -hmm. the footprints and all of that. It was kind of like my little moment to be mom. Of course, that last day rolled around and the counselor, caseworker, came in and said, okay, in her so, so beautiful, sweet voice. She said, okay, we're getting ready to come toward the end of your stay and we need to move forward. I just, I think I just sat there and just was like shaking my head. Mm. And I said, I can't, I can't make this decision in this space. I can't finalize this decision mm. in this space. I'd already made the decision in my heart and I had already made the decision and the commitment to them but I couldn't finalize it in such a yucky hospital space. Mm. <laughs> I needed to know that there wasn't a better deal out there. You know, you talk about how young you were and you were, but I mean, that is a very wise mm -hmm. thing to do because any birth mom would hope that any expectant mother going through that process would feel confident in her decision. You know, right. and, and right. make sure, right. I mean, it is hard. How do you do it in that moment with so many emotions to be like, yeah, yeah this, right. is, this is an easy choice. Like this is the right thing to do. I mean, it, <laughs> but the fact that you were able to recognize, even though I'm confident, yes. I, I just, I need to be sure. And I need to give myself that. Yes. I mean, I knew that I didn't feel myself. I knew that I had just had anesthetic and a major surgery. I knew that I had narcotics still probably in my yeah. system from the pain medicine. 
I knew that I had hormones raging and milk coming in. And so I knew that I was not operating in a space that was, it, it was, I was in the trauma zone. Yeah. yeah. I was in the trauma zone, crisis and trauma zone. Mm-hmm. And so she said, okay, well, let's, let's see. I have a, I have a, a foster care family that I can send him to and take him from here after you leave. You know, when I was gathering up my belongings and getting in that wheelchair to leave, there's still that severing of the soul mm. and the emotion of it and the gravity of it. And the, like, I didn't even see myself like grieving my child in that moment. Mm. And I myself was a child, but I was grieving my child mm. and loved him like I was losing myself. So I'm going to get a little teary eyed. <laughs> Sorry. Girl, 26 is- years. 26 years, it doesn't, mm-hmm. that part doesn't go away. Nope. So we drove home. My mother drove me home and my sister was in the car and we, um, I screamed the entire way in my pillow. Um, so much so that my mother had to pull off the side of the road. So we sat on the side of the road and, and it was kind of symbolic of my life. I felt like I was on the side of the road. Like all the cars are speeding Oof, uh. by me and and I'm reeling and risking and in a dangerous space, but I had to move forward. So um, I got home, saw my tropical fish bed and my pre-pregnancy genes, and of course developed all my film, right? My film at the one hour photo, doubles of everything, right? Laid all my photos out on my, on my floor. And I think I just like left the blinds closed for a good five days. While I allowed all of it to come out, you know, all of the, the medications and the hormones and the emotion and, and everything. I did go and see him um, in that two, week ta- two weeks time. Once I started feeling like the dark cloud was going away and I was realizing my, I'm a, you know, a 17 year old needs to finish <laughs> high school and has a backpack in the corner with <laughs> projects that need to be completed. It was reality, that dose of reality I needed. So I went ahead and I said, okay, I I called. I said, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to make it a a final, final. And I feel good. I feel solid. I feel peace in my my decision. And they, they, of course, they were elated. And they came into town and... um, they were so sweet to call me before they left back out of town. And they mm. said, um, hey, do you want to come up and see him and, and hold him one more time before we leave? And I, of course, was like, well, that's going to be hard. But obviously, yes, because this is what I chose. I want this openness. I want this relationship. This is what it's going to be like. We met and I held him and smelled him and... Um, and then I handed him back to her. And that was the point that we began our, our awkward dance of respect. I, I would kind of hide a little bit of my emotion and she would hide a little bit of her emotion out of respect, mutual respect. I didn't want to like cry over him and snuggle him too tight for fear that she would think that I was going to walk out the door and run. Hmm. or change my mind. And then she didn't want to, likewise, you know, she didn't want to snuggle and hold him too tight for fear that she would offend me or hurt me. 
that beautiful dance, it started our process of open adoption on that day. Because after that, I swear to you, she wrote on the calendar, take pictures, send pictures, videos, you know, the big VHS tapes. And wow. every, vid- every picture I believe they took, they were diligent about sending me the duplicate. And so I would receive like these really thick envelopes of, of pictures. And of course, did I share them with anyone? No. <laughs> no, because grief is like that. Grief yep. is like mm-hmm. that. Grief is like, yeah. I made this decision. You guys are not going to jump in. I paid for this with my tears and my yeah. sweat and my labor and my surgery. And no one gets mm-hmm. to see it. And I believe, you know, at the time, I looked, I thought I was actually being selfish, but it was just a process. Yeah. I believe, I believe I don't anyone think it's would say, selfish. no, you have possible. to, you have to work your way through that grief. But she was so diligent to just do this for me. Um, called me a couple times, just, you're not going to believe it. He said, Dada, ma, Mama, you know, and all mm. of these things. And I would just listen on the other end, you know. I think, I think she loved hearing my excitement. Yeah, most mm. people get tired about hearing the, oh, they moved left one inch today. <laughs> I know. Or to the right. Most people get a little, yeah, tired of that. Yeah. But other, a fellow mother does not get tired of no. every ounce no. of detail. For Especially sure. when you love the same child. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can't even explain it. And, yeah. But I know mm-hmm. that it, it fed her. It fed her heart to hear mm. the excitement in my voice. And it fed me to hear the excitement in her voice. Yeah. Because that just meant I chose right. Mm. She's loving him with her every ounce of her being. And After you know that, what? You know yeah. what I love so much about that is how quickly she wanted to initiate that openness, especially considering you took, what, a couple weeks to decide yes. to follow yes. through with the adoption plan. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel that, especially at that time, but even now, a lot of adoptive parents would perceive that as she might change her mind. Oh my goodness. Right. Just reiterating the fears yeah. that a right. lot of adoptive parents had, but she, she faced it. She did not let that deter she her. She faced it. I think she, because she herself is a counselor, she was able to identify the roots of of the grief and, and not, you know, the symptoms, the symptom might be that I'm not reciprocating, that I'm not calling her, that I'm not thanking her, that I'm just, I've just gone completely quiet and off the grid. Right. She knew that my heart needed those things. And Mm. so she provided them, you know, as, as, as my son was going through milestones, I was going through milestones and she was going through milestones. We were all kind of, you know, intermingled together in that beautiful sacred space. But I was watching her parent my son and thinking, oh, okay. Oh, I want to do that. So yes, we, we progressed. We didn't meet at the, uh, at the agency very often because kids are on the move. They like to pick up everything on the floor. They, don't, they, they recognize a stuffy spot, so they start acting mm-hmm. out. So you've got you to take the kids to the table and feed them, and then you take them to the park and you let them run around, or you take them to the house where they can play with toys. And that's kind of how we did things, birthdays and just random meetings whenever they were passing through or whenever we wanted to, I babysat. But when he was three, I found my husband Mm. and 
side note, I told him about my son on our first date. Yes, I did too. I did yes. too. So like, I, come on, yeah. we gotta get, we gotta get to get right, cut right yep. to the chase mm-hmm. here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of course, we met and got married in, I think it was like ninety days. So. <gasps> Quick. Wait, what? I, I feel like I have so many questions. I just. <laughs> are you kidding? Well, you know, you know. Oh my goodness. Were y'all in college or had y'all gra- No, I guess three years, probably not. He had already graduated. I was working full time. I was actually in school and, and working. I told him, he was like, yeah, I think we should get married. I was like, yes, okay. I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell. Right. But yeah, I was like, I need my, I need my, my son to be in my wedding. And I obviously need his mother to be my bridesmaids, one of my bridesmaids. We had a big wedding. How beautiful. I know. He carried my ring on a little pillow down the aisle. It was gorgeous. That's so sweet. Yes. And it was symbolic. It was Mm. symbolic. It was like, okay, you are like, you're carrying the unity, fitting Mm. for for my son to carry the symbol Mm. of the ring that means forever. Now, did your, did your son have any other siblings through his adoptive family? Yes, they went on to have three biological children. Wow. Yes, and his sister was my, my flower girl. Oh. <laughs> yeah, from there, it just kind of went. Um, we entered into tree houses and forts and books and all kinds of things. But when he got to his, his teen years, he had some questions, naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wanted me to answer some of those hard questions that he had that she felt like she couldn't answer. I spent time with him trying to answer those questions, and it was it was hard. It was through tears. I had to answer why why did you not want me, and mm. why did you give me up? You seem to have a a a good life and and so why could I not be a part of that and he was probably 15 around that when he asked those questions and I answered honestly I I told him um you know I could not have raised I mean imagine yourself age 15 16 raising a child so he understood and then we circled back again in high school and I answered him then and he struggled more at that point with why his birth father was not a part of his life. And of course, I can't answer that for him. Yeah. And that is a, that's a stinky place, you know, hard. you can't yeah. answer those kinds of, of questions. And of course we want to change it, right? We want to get out the magic wand and poof, make mm-hmm. it go away. But it is what it is. I can just encourage him and just pray that forgiveness and maybe maybe some sort of reunification will occur at some point. For his graduation, we decided that we wanted to take him on a family vacation. And so I asked, of course, didn't ask him first. I have to res- do the dance of respect. And so I said, even though he's you know in his 20s, I want to ask for your permission to take him on a family trip. She, of course, was like overjoyed. Yes, I, I, I would never want to stand in the way of that. Mm. So uh, my son chose a, uh, a place um, called Ireland. Oh, my gosh. It was gorgeous. Your daughters and husband went with you as well? Yes, everybody was Aww. there, my whole family. So it was like um, we pretended like we were all a family, you know? I mean, we are, but like yeah, we got to pretend like it was a family trip for the first time. I love that. I loved um, 
seeing all the photos you posted from that trip. So yes. it looks like it looks like a really really um, good trip. It's been a a beautiful journey, and there's so much more to that. Yeah. Both with my with every part of my family, parents, my children, my husband. It's everyone. We're all involved. Yeah, I would love to hear more about that. And you've touched on it a little bit with your husband, but your daughters mm-hmm. as well. What that was like. I'm assuming growing up knowing about mm-hmm. him and having a relationship yes. with him. It was really funny in the beginning when I would tell them when they were young. I remember they would just tell the neighbors. They would tell people, my brother, my brother, I have Aww. a brother. And of course, then the, then people would be like, where is he? <laughs> where is he? You know, like, where is he? <laughs> um, and then of course I would have to answer. I would answer that question. <laughs> they loved playing with him. They loved drawing with him. Um, opening gifts at Christmas time. It really functioned more like a cousin relationship. There were four children in their family, and then I had my two. And then by the time my sisters brought over their kids, it was just like, it was almost like a family reunion every time. Well, and I love that they refer to him as brother. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, to fully embrace the reality of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Em and I are both in that stage of life, we're both engaged, you know, we both hope to have more kids in the future. And I've always known that I want my future kids to always know about my daughter. Like that's right. never been a question. Like I want her pictures in the house. I want right. her, I want it to be completely open so that, right. you know, it's not this like, you know, family show. secret. Like, you know, family <laughs> secret bomb looms. <laughs> yeah. Like 10 years down the road and they're like, what? We have a sister, you know, like yes, it should be open. So yes. yeah, but like yes. you said, you have to embrace the awkwardness because yeah. I at that sister that came on later from you know the birth mom, and I was seven telling everyone that I have suddenly this teenage sister, and everyone's so confused. You have to then embrace just that yes. that innocence of of children that is so pure and so excited about things, and and to yes. be okay with that. It mm-hmm. is, it is, and you know what? People are always going to be. How do I say this? Nosy. And their questions always come off kind of abrasive. The look on their face is either one of two faces, like shocked, or they're they're like, "Oh wow!" I've had people go home, come back the next day, like we leave yoga class, come back the next day, and say, "You know, I've really been thinking about what you said about (laughs) your family, and I am so impressed. I've never heard anything like that, and Mm. I just feel like." wow, you know, if it changed my life to hear about open adoption in 1993, by telling someone about my positive story, who knows? Someone else could feel that same peace that I felt. Because have you always, it sounds like you've always just been open. Mm-hmm. I have. I have. Wow. I have. And, and you've become really involved within the adoption community especially as of lately, but how many years have you been involved? I think it's been five years now. I first got in touch on an Instagram feed with bravelove.org. And they are a mission that seeks to change the stigma surrounding adoption on all parts, for all parts of the triad, adoptees, birth parents, and adoptive parents. By changing the language and by telling hopeful, positive adoption stories, So people know there is a way to do this and there are healthy outcomes. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's awkward, 
things are awkward, but you know, life is awkward. When I talk to people who don't have, who don't have adoption in their life, there's mm -hmm. awkwardness. Yeah. And what is normal? There's no, there is your normal. There's your normal. Right. And when you have that confidence about it, about your family, you, you don't worry about what people think. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that we get caught up in this whole, um, adoption weirdness, right? Or whatever yes. people see. Yes. Because, I mean, the amount of families, I mean, I have friends who have halves and steps and X steps and I mean, all <laughs> of the things right. that, blended families. that, that mm -hmm. are, I mean, just the blended families. And I remember someone painting it that way for me. It's just another mm -hmm. type of blended family. Like there's no shame. Like we keep things, we keep things hidden when we're ashamed of them. Mm -hmm. But yeah. When you're not ashamed, you tell your story. When I met Brave, Brave Love and went to their um, birth mom dinner, I met a birth mom before that, my first ever birth mom before that, like the previous year. But I think mm -hmm. I had gone like 18 years without talking to another birth mother. I can't even so, wrap my mind around that. Like, I, I don't know how. Especially with you being so open. You would think someone would have known someone. 18 years later? Yes, wow. yes. And it was at a dinner? It was at my church that I met the first birth mother. And then I, okay. of course, when I found out about the dinner, I circled her in. I was like, well, yeah. you have to go. So then we both went together. And of course, we yeah. were like shaking like a leaf on the outside. <laughs> but after that, once I was able to communicate with other, other birth mothers and see and hear their beautiful stories, I decided that I needed to be an ambassador and then I needed to take the next step and actually be, uh, become a board member of mm -hmm. the board of directors. So I love being able to be a part of their mission. I also am an adoption advocate for a consulting agency, and I get to talk to adoptive parents from the birth mom's perspective, just about yeah. my experience and tell my story and educate them on how to love well. Yeah. You have been vocal about your adoption journey and you mm -hmm. really gotten involved in recent years, but how would you say adoption has evolved over the past 26 years from when you first were really introduced to it, even through open adoption? Well, I think adoption has evolved so much um, from hush hush, even blushing when I would talk about my adoption to now people really are overjoyed to hear a story where love is the language being spoken. You just hear a lot more of that. One yeah. thing I do think um, has been beneficial for adoption is the social media, is social media and just so many resources that are available for mm -hmm. um, support for, for birth mothers, for birth parents, for um, adoptive parents, and, and really for adoptees. You can connect with other people. You don't have to be alone on an island like I was for 18 years. Also, the, the verbiage changes. I think words matter. We know that now in 2020, mm -hmm. a lot more than in recent years. What are mm. some of your favorite changes of verbiage in terms well, of terminology? My favorite campaign that I love that Brave Love ran. Well, there's two. The No Shame. <laughs> no Shame. And I, that's something that I taught my girls when they were little. You should not have shame. You should not be ashamed. You, no shame. And, and of course, that's like something I love to just preach as a parent, yeah. but as an encourager of, of women and then giving up. I just 
I do not like the terminology of giving up. As a teacher, as a mother, I didn't like it pertaining to school, didn't like it <laughs> pertaining to my household, but I most certainly don't like it in the realm of adoption because yeah. it, is, it is the farthest thing from the truth. You know, it wasn't until that campaign that I, I mean, I hadn't even thought twice about it. I would always say I gave up my daughter for adoption. I mean, that, right. that's all that you hear or know. Right. You know, right. you don't, I mean, when I saw that campaign going, and I think it was even something Mathani had posted in support of it, you know, and say, no, I placed, I didn't give yes. up. I mean, it was, yes. it's so odd how such a small shift and how you phrase something can change how you view it. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, placing, that is a, a bold choice, you know, to place. Lori, how would you say that we, just as an adoption community, can continue to improve and move forward? I think education and support for women in crisis, but even before women in crisis, there's a lot to learn about positive adoption stories. When you get to the, uh, the point of crisis, you know more, you feel a little more equipped because you have a knowledge base, but also from the adoptees standpoint, education and support. I think that's essential to deal with the grief and the loss and the differences and the abandonment um, mm. that could potentially arise. Yep. And then from the adoptive parents standpoint, you're really just getting, getting into the heart of understanding that when you are uh, expanding your family, it's not just, hey, I'm adding one person. I'm adding to my family another family. Yeah. And regardless of how she deals with her grief, I'm going to love. If it's a closed adoption and keeping, keeping a keepsake box of mm -hmm. mementos and milestones and letters and pictures until that day when, when she feels brave enough and strong enough to face things. Well, and something I, I love that you point out and is pivotal in any adoption, closed, semi-open or open, is embracing the reality of the situation. Yes. I've said it, I've said it before. The baby is not brought by a stork to, your, to a doorstep. Right. If the adults in the situation, or I should say the parents in the situation on both sides, mm -hmm. can get on the same page and acknowledge the reality, the child will not be burdened with the weight of that reality mm. because it's just the truth, right? It's not, right. it's not this, I'm, you know, the adoptee is trying to replace the child that maybe their parents struggle with infertility with, you know, they're not replacing that right. child. They couldn't conceive. And the birth parent acknowledging, you know, this is my child, but I'm not raising, I'm not parent. Right. You know, right. So the adoptee will have enough to navigate, even with owning that weight. Um, mm -hmm but let's make mm -hmm. it less of a burden by through, yes. like you said, education and support. I think that is brilliant yes. advice. And within the actual triad, communication, honest communication. If you have a question, not, not letting it fester, not, not letting mm -hmm. it, it grow into something that becomes bitterness and jealousy and all of those things, acknowledge them when those thoughts come up and write it down and then make sure that you do the disclaimer. This is, I hope this doesn't sound this way, but I just want to say how I'm feeling about this. Yeah. And on all sides, like, can we just all agree to be open and honest and communicate? And then I feel like it makes it easier as well when you start incorporating husbands and more children. And it sounds like your family 
is just phenomenal and has embraced your son. But I think it started with how you and your son's adoptive parents began the relationship. Mm-hmm. Mathani, do you have any more questions or Lori, is there anything else that you would yeah. like to touch on that you feel you didn't get to? I just want to say one little thing that he did for me on Mother's Day. He wrote a little song and played it and <laughs> recorded it. And it was my first ever recorded song with him playing the guitar. I thought, oh, wow, we're on the other side. Like, We are on the other side of this, all that love and all of that communication and all of that, that network of adoption came in the form of a text honoring me on Mother's Day. And I just wanted to leave you with that. Wow. Because yours is coming too. (laughs) (laughs) In his 26 years, this is the first year he sent you Happy Mother's Day. I mean, you guys know both, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) I mean, some are very in tune and like pay attention to the calendar and are really good about writing cards and encouraging texts. Some are not. Uh It's just really neat to see. To reciprocate that love. That is something a lot of birth moms, you know, never know if they'll receive, but to get that reciprocation is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It is. And that's why it was very important that I close with that because I love that. It's the little seed of hope for everyone. Yes. Well, Lori, thank you so much for coming on. You are very welcome. And not just sharing your story, but taking us through the journey. I mean, far past placement, you know, where you're also involved in the adoption Mm -hmm. community and you are an advocate for birth moms. And on behalf of birth moms, thank you because you're Mm -hmm. right. We need the education and support So thank you so, so much. And thank you everyone for listening. Stay tuned. We'll be talking even more about open adoption next week with a panel of three birth mothers. So panel. Yes. So stay tuned. Thanks y'all. Thank you. Birth Mothers Amplified is brought to you by the Gladney Center for Adoption and adoption.com. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Birth Mothers Amplified. The views expressed may not represent the views of this program or sponsors and should not substitute seeking the advice of licensed professionals. To speak with an adoption counselor, please call 1-800-236-7898. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.